Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. And we're going to go into 1 Samuel 17. Uh, This is the second part in our series. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with a valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits on the span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephratite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three older sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second, Aminadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The eldest, the three eldest, followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the command of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of, the, in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give his great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should define the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had just been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Then Elab, David's oldest brother heard him speaking with the men. He burned with anger at him and asked, 
Why have you come down here? And whom did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and he brought it to Saul and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let lower his heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to guard against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the, Lord, the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword under the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming close to David. He looked David over and saw he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you choose to come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Lord God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Then the Philistines saw that the hero was dead. They turned and ran. When the men of Israel and Judah surged forward, then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shiram road to Gath and Ekron. When the Philistines returned from chasing, when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. Great. 
So David and Goliath, what a story. It's a story with so many layers. We're not going to reach them all today. In fact, today might only be an introduction, but I think you'll find it pretty powerful either way. It's an amazing story with so much to teach us. Now, as we're going to see, in many ways, we are so like the Israelites. However, there are moments when I find it easier to put myself in the shoes of the Philistines. And anyone who has ever played or watched under-13s rugby will probably agree with me. You see, I went to a small boarding school in South Dublin, and we were a pretty hopeless rugby school. But not in my first year. You see, in my first year, we had a lad called Mikey. And Mikey was absolutely massive. These days, he's about six foot one and average weight. But crucially, when he was 13, he was six foot one and average weight for a man. And my goodness, Mikey was our pride and joy. We'd get off the bus at these rugby empires like Black Rock or St. Michael's. And as schoolboys do, we'd start getting chirp from the lads in the schoolyard. Oi, look at these posh shows. You're rubbish. We're going to hammer you. You don't have a home. You live at school. And we'd reply, yeah, well, we've got Mikey. Mikey's huge. Mikey, Mikey shaves. He, he shaves his face every morning. We wake up every morning, 6.30 a.m. There he is in the bathroom shaving his face. He's got stubble. He shaves. And if that wasn't enough, we'd say, Mikey, Mikey, take off your tracksuit. Show them your legs. Look at the hair on the man's legs. We're going to hammer you. You can't beat us. We've got Mikey. You see, we had Mikey. We knew we were going to win. Apart from every now and then when disaster would strike. Because every now and then, the other school would have a Mikey too. And anyone who knows schoolboy rugby knows how that feels. That's not good news. That is not good news. So what would have to happen is early in the game, and this was a sort of schoolboy code, you know, we all knew this had to happen. Early in the game, there'd be a free kick. And remember, this is schoolboy rugby under 13s. No, for those of you who know rugby, no fancy line outs, none of that. Free kick, pop the ball to the big guy and he charges in. And we had this code. Everyone knew that what would have to happen is all the little boys would back away and we'd give the ball to our Mikey. And he'd put his head down and charge directly head on at their Mikey. And there'd be what felt like a gigantic collision. Boom! As the two post-adolescents would crash into each other. And then me and all the other little boys would scramble on in and try to do our bit to help these fully grown men. But psychologically, we all knew deep down that whoever won that first collision, they'd win the game. Both teams just knew it. Anyway. We join the story in 1 Samuel 17, verse 2, with the Philistines all backing away and sending forward their Mikey. And the question is, do the Israelites have someone to match him? Well, before we dive in and see the answers, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it has the power to mold and shape us. And we ask that it would do so today and this week going forward. In Jesus' name, amen. So, guys, here's the main thing I want you to take from David and Goliath. Here's the message. The Lord saves his people through his chosen one. So keep fighting and stop fearing. Have you got that? The Lord saves his people through his chosen one. That's the key message. When the Israelites went and picked up their newspapers the following morning, that was the headline emblazoned on the front page. The Lord saves his people through his chosen one. And what does that mean for us today? It means keep fighting, stop fearing. 
The Lord saved his people through chosen one. Keep fighting, stop fearing. That's the scaffold of today's talk. Now, let's see how that works out in the story. Well, here's the first thing to get. Here's the very first, very important point of the story. First key point, Goliath is massive. Okay, that's verses four to 11. If you want to highlight that in your Bible, you can put on it, Goliath is massive. And it's very important to get that. He is massive. He is terrifying. Verse 11, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and they were terrified. And at first glance, you don't blame them. Goliath is nine foot tall and the head of his spear is the weight of a bowling ball. They're terrified. That is until David arrives. Last week, chapter 16, we watched him be quietly anointed the future king. But remember, only a select few people know that at this stage. Currently, at the start of this story, he's still very much the runt of his litter. And speaking from experience, that's not a great position to be in. So being the runt of his litter, in verse 17, David is sent along with the sandwiches. Do you see it? David, you're too small. You can't fight. But I tell you what you can do. So you can go and take these sandwiches down to the camp. Keep the boys happy. So verse 17 and 18, David takes 10 loaves of bread and 10 cheeses. And I know what you're thinking. Dave, mate, where's the ham? Okay, it's, it's a ham and cheese sandwich. No one likes a cheese sandwich. Come on, Dave, they're the Israelites, not the French. Ham and cheese. No wonder they don't like you. Well, I think I, I, that, that struck me when I first read the story anyway. In his defense, I gather the Israelites weren't really ham people either. But still, it is striking. Anyway, where are we in the story? Goliath is enormous. The Israelites are terrified. And we little David is sent down with the sandwiches. That's where we are in the story. And now it's time for the hero to take center stage. Do you see who the hero is? Who is it? It's the living God. And David becomes the vehicle through whom he works. And that's because David has read his Old Testament. He knows who is in charge. Page after page in every chapter, there is one great hero in the Bible, the living God. He is the hero. He is on the throne. He is in charge. And unlike his cowardly countrymen, David has not forgotten it. So let's jump to the key verses in the story. Let's see this in action. I pick up reading from verse 45. Key verses, we'll read them again. Are you there? David said to the Philistines, or to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. Keep seeing it. Who's the hero here? Whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. I mean, could it be any more emphatic? Where is David's confidence? It's not in himself. It's in the Lord. It is the Lord who wins this battle. It is the Lord who directs that stone into the perfect location in Goliath's temple. Sure, absolutely, David is a deeply admirable figure. But his greatest characteristic is he knows who can win this battle. And it's not himself. It's the Lord. Well, in the same way, 
Over a thousand years later, God is going to use his chosen one to win the greatest battle of all. Once again, it won't be with sword or spear that the Lord saves. Once again, God won't use a glamorous hero, but an unlikely one. He'll use a refugee, a product of an unmarried teenage pregnancy. He'll use a criminal condemned to the highest punishment. He will use the Lord Jesus. And just as the world scoffed at David, so they scoffed at Jesus. If you've read the Gospels, you'll see them say, you're not king, they said to him. You're not a savior. You up on the cross there. You who saved others. Now you can't even save yourself. You've lost. That's what they said to him. And don't they say similar things today? Jesus isn't real. And even if he was, I wouldn't like him. The Bible is a book for bigots. Wake up, smell the roses. Jesus isn't king. I don't need to look into evidence. I don't need to open up the pages and read because I wouldn't believe it anyway. You ever had that said to you? But guys, do you see it? God uses an unlikely saviour. And that's why, in many ways, the story of David and Goliath is pointing forward to the greatest story of all. When once again, God will use an unlikely saviour to rescue his people from the battle. And what is that battle? It's the battle against sin. Isaiah 53, 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us in our own way have booted God out of our lives. We've turned away from the shepherd and chosen to go our own way instead. And as a result, God allows us to face the consequences and we become hard hearted. We become addicted to our chosen harmful patterns of behavior. This isn't just some of us. This is all of us. Before we knew Christ, we were all in that boat. Are you still in that boat? And because of our sin, all of us were due judgment, punishment. And yet God saves his people through his chosen one. He sent his son, Jesus, to die the most brutal of all deaths and take the punishment we deserve. I deserve to be on that cross. When I die, I deserve banishment from God to a terrible place. But you see, Jesus has paid the punishment that I owe. He took the whips, the scars, the banishment that should be mine. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now we can go free. The price is paid. We can receive a new heart, free from sin, free from that behavior that we hate. Christ's death and resurrection is 1 Samuel 17 verse 47 all over again. It is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. The Lord saves his people through his chosen one. He did it for David. He does it for us. Have you let him do it for you? And guys, can I pause there to say that if you don't fully get that, if Christ's death on the cross and how and why that works does not quite make sense to you, please reach out to someone. Please message the welcome team or someone else you know in the church. Please don't rest until you understand it. The story of David and Goliath points forward to the greatest story of all, Jesus's death and resurrection. Do you understand that story? Your eternal destiny hangs on it. Now, for those of us who have already received Christ's saving grace, the question is, what next? 
Well, back to 1 Samuel. Do you see verse 52? I'll give you a moment just to get your heads down. Find verse 52. Verse 52. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Do you see it? Goliath is defeated. The battle is won. But the Israelites do have to keep on fighting. It's won. We know the result. The Lord has saved his people. But the Israelites still have fighting to do. And so it is with us. Christ has defeated our sin. Hallelujah. The battle is won. Sin has no hold anymore. We are no longer bound by its urges. But there's still fighting to do. And the question is, are you doing it? Lockdown 2020, are you fighting sin? Or have you given up? And remember, sin begins in our hearts, our minds, our attitudes, not in our circumstances. COVID-19 has dramatically changed our circumstances. But don't kid yourself. Circumstances don't make us sin. Our hearts do. Lockdown 2020. Where is your battle this week? Goliath has been defeated. But the Israelites still charge on to Gath and Ekron. Where is your Gath and Ekron? Where do you need to keep fighting? Well, maybe it's what Steve talked about last week. Are you stuck on the seesaw of pride and then low self-esteem? Pride, low self-esteem. Is your whole worldview dominated by what people think of you? By the need to be better, to prove yourself, to win the mind games of comparison? Is that sin for you? And if it is, are you fighting it? Or maybe it's your online presence. What would happen if you shared your screen right now and showed us all the history tab? Could you do that? What are you hiding? What would we see? Is, is there an addiction to internet shopping, pornography, messages to someone that probably shouldn't be there? How's your online footprint? Is that where sin is getting you? And if it is, are you fighting it? Or maybe it's your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You, you aren't married, but you're compromising sexually. You're both, you both know you're losing the fight. But hey, it's lockdown, right? Things are different. No. Or maybe the opposite. You're wracked by the pain of singleness and you're beginning to look past God and turn elsewhere for fulfillment. To habits, to patterns that you know are harmful. Or maybe it's just your general behavior around the house, selfishness, a sharp tongue, bitterness, a temper, self-righteousness. My way is the best way. And that's just that. Is that sin for you? And if it is, are you fighting it? And can I just point you to an example of what not to be like? Do you see Saul in the second half of verse 37? Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. You see, he's got all the right words. He says all the right things, but no. His life is filled with hypocrisy. He's given up the fight. He is not leading his nation into battle. He is not trusting the Lord. His life does not back up his words. Is that some of us today? Our friend texts and says, hey, I'm getting my COVID test back today. I'm really nervous. Please pray. And we reply, absolutely. Praying for you, brother. Praying for you, sister. Say all the right things. Or, or you go to Citigroup online, you give all the right answers. But behind closed doors, you've given up the fight. David charges on. Are you with him? Or are you back in Saul's tent? Well, if that is you today, please hear. 
It's not too late because of God's boundless, unending mercy and forgiveness. Because Goliath is well and truly beaten, it is never too late. It's never too late to pick up your weapons again and charge on to Gath and Ekron. It's not too late. Renew the fight this week. And yes, there'll be setbacks, of course. But remember the big picture. Sin is defeated. The Lord Jesus has slain the enemy. You are entirely and fully forgiven. So hear the battle cry and fight on. You have all the spiritual armory to do so. Trust the Lord and fight sin this week. Become more like him this week. Goliath is slain, but the Israelites still have fighting to do. And very, very quickly, how do you fight sin? Well, three S's. Firstly, support. Tell someone, do not fight alone. Confess to a brother or sister. You cannot do this alone. We do this together. The Israelites pursue the Philistines in verse 52 together as an army, not as individuals. Receive support this week. Call up your friend and say, hey, we've got a chat. I need your support. Do not fight sin in the darkness. Do not fight sin alone. This week, tell someone. Second S, supplication. A very a fancy word for prayer. Pray to the Lord. As we've seen, the battle is his. He's able to set you free. Put your confidence in him. So ask him every day. Lord, set me free from this habit now. Set me free from this pattern of sin. Let me never go back there. You cannot defeat Goliath on your own strength. You must let God do it for you. And so it begins with prayer, with saying, Lord, help me. So support supplication. Lastly, study. Study his word. Get to know him better. Remember John 8 verse 32. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The more you know the Lord Jesus, the more you soak yourself in his teaching, the more power you will have to be free. Know the truth. Study the truth. Learn to love the truth. It will set you free. The three S's of fighting sin, support, supplication, study. And by the way, what's your average daily screen time this week? I'm not talking about your work PC. I'm talking about your phone. How badly does your daily screen time dwarf your daily time with the Lord? Mine's a pretty ugly picture sometimes. How bad is it for you? Study or support, supplication, study. Phones can be good things. Don't let them cripple your spiritual life. Don't let them get in the way of your fight to be holy. Support, supplication, study. Three S's of fighting sin. Right, where are we? Okay, remember, the Lord saves his people through his chosen one. So keep fighting. And lastly, stop fearing. Do you see the transformation in the Israelites over the course of the story? Verse 11, remember. Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Verse 52, as we've mentioned, the men of Israel surged forward with a shout. Transformation. And so it can be with us. Once we realize that God, through his chosen one, has slain our greatest enemy, then all fear can be cast out. Have you heard the famous lines by John Chrysostom? On account of his faith in Christ, John was on trial for his life in front of the Roman emperor. Here's how the conversation went. The emperor said, we will banish you. And Chrysostom replied, you cannot banish me, for the whole world is my father's home. Well then, we will execute you, said the emperor. You cannot, he replied. 
My life is hid with Christ. Well, then we will dispossess you of your estate. You cannot, he said. I have not got any. All my treasure is in heaven. Well, then we will put you in solitary confinement, said the emperor. You cannot, for I have a divine friend from whom you can never separate me. I defy you. There is nothing you can do to hurt me. How's that for an example of fearlessness? You see, John Chrysostom knew that Christ had dealt with his greatest enemy. Christ has defeated death. Christ has defeated sin. Christ has secured for us an eternal inheritance that can never spoil or fade or economically crash or become infected with the coronavirus. No, Christ has done it. And John Chrysostom knew it. And so with complete confidence and defiance, he could stand against the world's most powerful man. Now, where are you right now? Are you dismayed and terrified like the Israelites? Is your job in jeopardy? Are your life plans in tatters? Is your health in trouble? Big problems in the world at the moment. I'm sure for many, many of us logging on today, big, big problems. Where are you right now? Well, perhaps better to ask yourself this. What is my deepest fear? What is worst Worst case scenario. Admit it to yourself. Be honest with yourself and then ask, how does Christ rescue me from that deepest fear? Is it loneliness? In Christ, you have a friend who will never leave or forsake you. Is it poverty? Through Christ, you have a treasure stored in the next life that far outstrips anything this world could provide. Is it failure? In Christ, you are loved and treasured by the creator of heaven and earth. There is no success greater than that. Is it losing control? In Christ, you are loved and cared for by the one who has control over every little thing we see around us. We're not in control. We never were. He is, though. And guys, this isn't wishful thinking. This isn't just a crutch to lean on. This is truth. Christ died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. See the evidence. See the empty tomb. If you are on his side, then you are on the right side of history, the side of truth. There is nothing to fear because of this truth. You can let that fear go. He's got you. He's won the battle. He's got you. The Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And then God defeated their greatest enemy by his chosen one. And so they abandoned fear and ran forward with a shout. Let us run forward with a shout this week. Have that conversation. Ring that friend. Tell that colleague. Abandon fear. Charge forward together with a shout. The Lord saves his people through his chosen one. It's absolutely transformational. So keep fighting. Stop fearing. Pick up your weapons. Charge on to Gath and Ekron this week. He's done it. The battle is his. He has won. The Lord saves his people by his chosen one. Keep fighting. Stop fearing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have slain our greatest enemy. And Father, we pray that what we know in our heads would take a deep root in our hearts this week. Please, Father. Please, Lord, would you help us to soak ourselves in your word this week? Would you help us all to revisit that story and see the so many different nuggets of truth within it? 
please transform our hearts this week. In Jesus' name, amen.